Welcome to Imagined Tomorrow. This is a podcast where we imagine futures for India through the lens of science and technology. In every episode, we will explore one hypothetical future scenario for India and we will talk to various experts and see how the journey to that future might play out keeping Indian realities in mind. I am your host Shreya Das Gupta. In today's episode, we imagine a future where India has completely shifted to electric vehicles. Imagine never having to visit a petrol pump ever again or thinking about the tyranny of rising petrol prices. No more petrol or diesel cars and bikes and buses spewing thick black smoke into the air. Just charge your vehicle's battery and get on the road. In this future there's cleaner air for us to breathe. Carbon dioxide emissions are lower so we slow down the warming of our planet. Maybe. After all, electric vehicles are said to be the future of transport, a green transport. So what would it take for a country like India to get to this all electric vehicle future? And can this future be truly truly green? Even after taking the vaccine, continue to wear a mask, observe physical distance. Hello. Hello, Goranga Dami Shreya bolchi. This is Goranga Bishash or Goranga da as I call him. He knows a lot about cars because he's driven so many of them in his lifetime. First he had his own taxi company in Kolkata then he became a personal driver. Now for the first time he's driving an electric car a Tata Nexon EV. 140 km jai 140 km jao. He speaks in rapid Bengali so I'll translate. Four times a week Gorangoda drives the electric car from an area called Salt Lake in Kolkata to a factory in Kharagpur which is about 140 km each way. and this car is getting him a lot of attention wherever he stops even west bengal police have stopped him and asked him questions where does he charge the car how much does it run and how is it different from a regular petrol car so how is an electric vehicle different from a petrol or a diesel one let's start with what makes the car move Petrol and diesel vehicles have an internal combustion engine. So the engine has cylinders where air and fuel mix and explode. There are multiple controlled tiny explosions that are constantly happening in the engine. It's the energy from these explosions that push the pistons inside the cylinders. The moving pistons drive a crank and the crank's movement is what makes the wheels rotate. While this sounds simple, in reality internal combustion engines are far more complex. Electric vehicles on the other hand have fewer moving parts. So instead of a fuel tank, an electric vehicle has a battery pack with numerous individual cells. The energy stored in this battery comes from electricity. So instead of filling a tank with fuel, you charge your vehicle's battery just like you charge your phone or laptop. And that stored energy in the battery then moves an electric motor which then turns the wheels and sends the car forward. Not just that, an electric car or bike drives differently too electric vehicles are usually smoother much more silent and they accelerate very quickly compared to petrol or diesel vehicles gorangoda has definitely felt the difference despite the long distance he has to drive gorangoda says that the electric car feels very smooth the drive is sweeter and much more comfortable on his body 
Now Gorangada is impressed but he's seen just a handful of these electric cars on Kolkata roads and he can identify because EVs in India come with a green number plate. Maybe the next time you are outside try looking out for these green plated cars. But let's step away from cars for a moment because unlike the west where cars form the bulk of road vehicles in India it's the two wheelers that rule our roads. They make up nearly 80% of our vehicles. The premium segment of cars like the Nexon and even Tesla, those above 10 lakh rupees where we tend to fixate are just 2%. So given that most vehicles on Indian roads are two wheelers, perhaps electric scooters and bikes could be the stepping stone for our all EV future. So I spoke to someone who's building this future. So when I came back to the bicycle business which was a very well run well established business there were three generations working there's little that a third generation youngster coming in as a camping uh, in in terms of the change or a role to play This is Navin Munjal today he's the managing director of Hero Electric India's largest manufacturer of electric two wheelers but figuring out what kind of electric two wheeler India needed has been a bit of a roller coaster ride for him His first attempt came in the form of an e-cycle back in the early 2000s. This electric cycle he thought would plug in the gap between the 1200 rupees ordinary cycle and a 45000 rupees scooter. So that was a huge jump which was there. So I thought okay let's plug in make life easier for him so let me plug in a vehicle here which gives him ability to go uh, to take more load and further and it's not getting into the scooter motorcycle category. But this e-cycle did not work. not just because the technology was still new but mainly because the team hadn't quite figured out whether electric cycles was something that people in india even wanted we were making a classic mistake earlier we were not looking at the customer aspirations as much as we should have at that point of time so the customer's journey we understood at that point was not a cycle to a electric cycle to a scooter motorcycle car whatever be the case it is actually a cycle scooter motorcycle car and then a electric cycle So even now when you look at it in around the world an e-bike or electric cycle is actually a mature product it's not a nascent market product so next they sent one of their mopeds to the US and worked with a company there to try and convert it into an electric one uh took out the fuel tank plugged in batteries there took out the engine put in a motor there and that vehicle actually worked it worked well in the US but for the Indian market there was a problem again In the US they had used lithium ion batteries in the moped. Today most laptops, phones and electric vehicles have rechargeable lithium ion batteries. But in the early 2000s these batteries were very expensive. Lithium ion batteries were like $1800 a kilowatt hour uh, at that point of time. So for the Indian customer Navin's team decided to use the cheaper lead acid battery instead. Like the ones that are still in your petrol cars and bikes mainly to get your vehicle started. Anyway, trying to put a lead acid battery in a vehicle that had been designed for a lithium ion battery proved to be tricky. So that moped didn't work either. It was finally in 2007 when they introduced their electric scooters and that was when the market really began to take off. Even in 2007 when we launched, there was a huge gap because the scooter category had kind of begun to fall apart and it was mainly the motorcycle. So cycle to motorcycle, what happens to a scooter category? So that's where we try to introduce our vehicles. The market just started to explode from there. The number of electric two-wheelers being sold in India have gone up from 20,000 in 2015 to 140,000 in 2020. But while the market may have taken off, it is still tiny. Because compare the numbers with the two-wheeler market otherwise. Companies sell around 20 million two-wheelers in India every year. And if you're curious about cars, only 3,000 odd electric cars are sold every year. Pretty abysmal, right? 
It's not like our country can't build electric vehicles. We can, as many companies in India have shown. But selling an electric car or scooter is a whole different ballgame. In fact, Naveen says that for our hypothetical all-EV future to become a reality, the entire automotive industry ecosystem would require a sort of total disruption. So right now, we are very, very nascent stages. If you look at it, you've got to step back and look at it from early 80s when the automotive industry really began in India, in the modern automotive industry revolution began. There was new companies, new ecosystem, that whole thing got created. It's the same here. Everything will get, has to get created and will get created. And there are, we have enough entrepreneurs and beyond in India who are already looking at this in a very, very serious manner. For example, remember that electric vehicles have fewer moving parts than a petrol or diesel vehicle? This means that EVs require very low maintenance. This might be good for the customer because you don't have to visit a service center so many times, but it's not great for the dealerships because today dealerships earn most of their revenue not from the sales of the vehicles, but from the servicing of the vehicles. You have to restructure that whole transaction between your com- between the company and the dealer, for example. He has to make money from the sale of the vehicle. Service is only going to supplement it. It's not going to be the mainstay. That was one of the factors. Even our local car and bike mechanics will need retraining and reskilling to handle electric vehicles. Like, you know, earlier, the problem was that if you had even a tire puncture and you went to a roadside mechanic, he would say, Ki, Saab, I don't know this vehicle. I don't know how to take out the wheel. I, there's a motor involved, there, electronics involved, etc. So we started training out these roadside mechanics. We've trained up about 6,000 of them and we're pushing that forward. So this is how we are creating that ecosystem. Okay, so you build the electric vehicles that you think India needs. You retrain and reskill the dealerships and the mechanics. But the most crucial step towards our hypothetical future where all vehicles are electric is convincing people to buy an electric scooter or car today. And there are two big challenges to that. One is the cost. Electric cars and scooters today are much more expensive than petrol or diesel vehicles. Although the overall cost of owning an electric vehicle is much lower because you are not spending as much on fuel or maintenance. Still, that initial cost is high. Now the government does offer some subsidies for EVs because it wants mass adoption of electric vehicles and has set this goal that EVs should be at least 30% of all automobile sales by 2030. But Naveen says that the subsidies being given today need to be more aggressive, at least for a short period of time. There's no need to support this in a very long-term period. You need to support in a very short-term, in a but a very intense manner. So it needs to be front-loaded. The policies need to be front-loaded, which enable customers in the first, you know, get the first 2 million vehicles out, for example. Support those 2 million vehicles. Everything else will fall into place because people will start getting used to electric. People will start, once they're seeing electric on the roads, they start adopting towards it. Another big reason why people hesitate to buy electric vehicles today is this. The concept of having to charge your vehicle is new and still makes people anxious. Where do I charge the battery? How far can I go on a single charge? What happens if the battery runs out? We'll get these answers. But first, let's hear from some people who own and drive EVs today. Hi. Your voice is much uh, clearer now. Yeah, because I, I switched off most of the things. <laughs> this is Abhirama Sundari, a chemistry researcher who lives in Ahmedabad. She bought a slow-speed electric scooter from Yo Bikes 15 years ago. Because then I don't have to go to the petrol station. That was the uh, first reason I thought I will buy it. I can charge it from my home itself. She wanted to drop her daughter to school and pick her up. And being able to charge the scooter at home and not go to a petrol pump made her life easier. But the home charging business? 
she's had to sort of wing it. See, we live in a flat, uh, so we used to keep the bike down below, and from there we used to put a extension wire of nearly a fifty uh, meter, sixty meter length wire. We keep and then we charge it. But consider Sandhya Ramesh, the science editor at the Print India. She bought an electric scooter more recently in early 2018 from Aether Energy. In her case, charging has been simpler. I charge at home. Um, they do uh, with the older models. They have a fast charger which they come and install um, at your parking space. Sandhya has moved homes since buying the scooter, and the charger has moved with her. It's been okay. I've contacted Aether every time, and they've come and shifted it for a fee. It's been similar for Rohit Gupta, who lives in the same apartment complex as I do, and he owns a Tata Nexon EV, the same car that Gorangoda drives. So I called him up. See, EV is a new concept in India, and I was looking for a second car to buy a second car. I was trying to replace my older eight-year-old Hyundai car, and I was just you know searching around. I was looking for something new. I was looking for something futuristic. Like Aether, when you buy a Tata Nexon EV, folks from Tata come and install a charger at your parking space. They did that for the place where Gorangoda works, and they did it for Rohit at his parking space in our apartment basement. And he's pretty happy with how it's going so far. You know, the claimed range is about 300 kilometers, but if, even if you drive like a normal vehicle, hmm. you get about uh, 220, 230, 240 range. Okay. Easily uh, uh, with the AC on and stuff like that. And it's actually pretty good uh, from a second car uh, perspective. Uh, if you have to, you know, drive in the city and just commute to office, it's actually a great. Uh, option but if you are the kind of family who has to drive let's say long distances and you know stuff like that then uh, still it's a problem because the infrastructure is not there now everyone i spoke to who drives an electric vehicle told me the same thing if you want to drive around a lot say from one city to another the charging infrastructure is just not there yet so what can a successful charging infrastructure for electric vehicles look like for india One single solution might not be enough to cover all the kinds of vehicles and realities we find here. For instance, Abhirama Sundari used extension wires of nearly 60 meters to plug into her scooter on the ground floor. But others might not find this convenient. Or your apartment housing committee might not give you the permission to have a charging outlet installed in your parking space for your personal use. So then companies will need to innovate. For example, Hero Electric has started taking a slightly different route. and our vehicles give anything from 80 kilometers upwards to 210 kilometers nevertheless there is still the issue of range anxiety uh, what if i go somewhere and what if my i run out of a charge etc so what we've started doing is one people live in apartments we know that and there is no infrastructure for charging on the ground floor of these apartments whether it is gurgaon or noida or bangalore or mumbai or wherever be the place so what we started doing is one we started putting portable batteries in our vehicles this portable battery located in a cavity below the seat of the scooter is about 10 kilos it's like a lunch box so it's like you know not very big and uh, you can take it up to your apartment plug it into your wall outlet just the way that you charge your mobile phone plug it back into the vehicle and off you go again to me this sounds very convenient now imagine another scenario where all vehicles have batteries that are removable but now you don't lug it around with you to your apartment or office Instead, you go to a battery station and you exchange your discharged battery for a fully charged one, just like you exchange your empty gas cylinder for a fully filled one. This is the concept of battery swapping. It's one charging solution that's been talked about a lot in India. Because with swapping, you don't have to depend on finding chargers to plug in and you don't have to wait several hours for your vehicle to be fully charged. 
it just takes a few minutes. But battery swapping might be better suited for commercial vehicles rather than private ones, Naveen says. Situations where waiting to charge your battery to 100% just eats into the time you could have been on the road. Like buses, for example. So bus goes from a bus depot, it goes around and it comes back. There, it could possibly work because that's a commercial vehicle where you don't have to stop to charge for a long time. It could possibly work because it's an expensive proposition. But nevertheless, technically it could work. It could also work for e-rickshaws. Definitely could work because here it's a commercial vehicle. So you want the vehicle to be commuting as much as possible. And also where the person, where he's living, he may or may not have access to a charging infrastructure there. Or there are too many vehicles there. How do you really charge all those vehicles? So there, definitely it could work. It could also work for B2B e-scooters or bikes. Because here, again, idea is to keep the vehicle running for as long as you can which means you go deliver your goods, come back, go deliver your goods again and come back. And you're not standing here for an hour or two hours to charge your vehicle. Battery swapping stations for e-rickshaws have already come up in some cities. Last year, Bangalore-based Sun Mobility launched four battery swap points for metro ride e-rickshaws. These are the electric three-wheelers that provide last-mile connectivity to metro riders. Then there's BPCL that's partnered with Kinetic Green and IIT Madras to set up swap stations for Kinetic's fleet of e-rickshaws in cities like Kochi and Lucknow. So typically, in the case of battery swapping, the vehicle owner does not need to own the battery. The batteries can be owned and operated by a separate company, an energy operator who will buy batteries in bulk, establish a network of swapping stations, then rent out batteries to the vehicle owners. Like say you sign up with Bharat Gas for your cooking gas cylinder refills. And just like Bharat Gas can't have you, the customer, refilling a cylinder on your own, the energy operator can't have customers charging the battery on their own. This is because a battery's life depends on its usage. And every time you charge a battery, you cause the battery to lose a bit of its maximum life. So the battery owner would want to control how the battery gets charged, where it gets charged and for how long. Now a two-minute battery swap sounds very convenient and it may be so for commercial vehicles but it might not be an attractive proposition for people buying vehicles for personal use, at least at the moment. One reason is that you would need a very dense network of swapping stations to make this work for everyone. Now, if there are not enough swapping stations, and we are telling a customer that you, know, you have to go five kilometers out to swap your battery and then come back, go to your work, that's not going to work. That's going to be highly inconvenience for that uh, customer. And remember, in the case of battery swapping, you can't charge the battery at home you have to go swap it. So unless you have a very, very dense swapping infrastructure, it's not going to work. Tesla tried a battery swapping pilot program in the US, but abandoned it after its customers weren't very excited about the idea of using unknown batteries. But other companies are still experimenting with this and may find a way to make swapping work for personal vehicle owners. At the moment though, fast plug-in chargers might be the more attractive offer. Technically, what India needs is every building that you go to, every mall that you go to, and every office and complex that you go to should have charging infrastructure outside. You plug in the vehicle to charge, that vehicle gets charged. And so, if you are taking a trip from Bangalore to Kulk, for example, you could stop at a restaurant midway for lunch, charge your vehicle at the parking space, and then off you go after your meal, knowing that there are other charging points on the way, including at the hotel or homestay at your destination. A dense charging infrastructure has another benefit. It can bring down the cost of electric vehicles because you don't need the EV batteries to take you very long distances now. You don't need such large batteries because if you're commuting 
in short distances, your batteries could become smaller, in which case your vehicle cost would have come down substantially, making it more affordable, thereby increasing the volume of the vehicles. But it's a chicken and egg situation. What comes first? Should more people first buy EVs or should the charging infrastructure come up first? Naveen says that for people to feel confident about buying EVs, the charging infrastructure will probably need to come up first, even if people don't use it as much. And even if you offer solutions like portable batteries. While all this is there, the customers still have range anxiety issues. So what we did is around our dealerships, where we have a dense population of vehicles, we started actually installing this charging infrastructure in places where you would generally go to, like markets. The, the grocery store, for example, there could have a board which says zero electric charging point. So we are installing this. Customers are not really using it to that extent at this point of time. But nevertheless, what happens with this, it, it gives them enough confidence. So wherever we install this charging infrastructure, the sales have increased substantially. There are many exciting questions to figure out. How many chargers do we need in a city or town or along highways? How many of these need to be fast chargers? How many can be slow chargers? Where will these chargers be located? How will customers know which ones are free to use? But say we found a solution for all these questions and everyone who wants to buy a vehicle buys an electric one. That would take us nicely to our hypothetical all-EV future. But if we truly want this future to be greener, how do we get there? I can start by saying that recent studies have shown that India in the next three decades, right, till 2050, the growth in our emissions as well as energy is going to come from two sectors. One is industry and the second is transportation. This is Dr. Jay Asundi, the executive director of the Centre for Study of Science, Technology and Policy, a think tank based in Bangalore. As he says, both industries and vehicles burn fossil fuels and these are major sources of air pollution in our cities. In fact, according to a recent report, 22 of the world's top 30 cities with the most polluted air are in India. There's Delhi in the list, of course, then Ghaziabad, Agra, Rotak, Noida, Kanpur, Lucknow, Meerut, Gurgaon, you get the gist. This bad air isn't merely inconvenient. In 2019, nearly 1.7 million deaths in India were attributable to air pollution, according to a report in The Lancet. These are people who could have lived much longer. And Jay says that if business continues as is, transportation will become an even bigger cause of emissions in India. These are based on what we would call business as usual scenarios. Scenarios where our cities grow the way they are growing and our transport demands also grow in the way that they have been growing so far, which is a predominant move towards private transportation, a greater amount of freight transportation, and uh, greater distances people traveling over a period of time. Okay, remember that petrol and diesel vehicles have internal combustion engines where the petrol or diesel mixes with air and reacts? That's what makes the car move. But the reactions in the engines also produce compounds like oxides of sulfur and nitrogen, as well as very fine particulate matter that get released through the vehicle's exhausts as smoke. These pollutants are very bad for our lungs, our health and our environment. So what happens if we replace all petrol and diesel vehicles with electric ones? If I look at tailpipe emissions, electric vehicles 
actually uh, have no emissions right because they are running on a battery they are you know the, the emissions there are, are 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 very little compared to let's say an ic engine of petrol or diesel which is going to is which is burning in situ and it's going to produce socks knocks and particulate matter which is uh, pretty bad it is pretty bad so by removing petrol or diesel vehicles from our roads it's one less source of air pollution to think about but we are not doing away with the emissions altogether electric vehicles need electricity and if we take today's scenario around 2/3 of india's energy generation still comes from thermal power plants that use fossil fuels like coal there are two problems with this first many of these power plants themselves release pollutants into the air but the pollution can be managed if the power plants take steps to reduce emissions and if governments in power actually clamp down on those who don't the second problem is this with 2/3 of our grid still running on fossil fuels the source of electricity is not green at all so if you look at an electric vehicle today that is charging on our grid it is predominantly fossil fuel driven and this is what is the biggest question that people ask today is that why are we pushing for electric vehicles when uh, predominant fuel is fossil based it is coal based i had that question too is there a point then in shifting to electric vehicles so i think this is where we get into the perspective of life cycle analysis and i think it's it's very important to look at it uh, right from well to wheel as they call it uh, see from the point of how much energy does it take to extract the elements that you need for what you're doing and then you compare it across the board so for vehicles this life cycle analysis would include looking at carbon dioxide emissions right from the extraction of all the materials that go into making your car or scooter the transportation and processing of those materials the manufacturing of the car or scooter the vehicle's usage where you drive it for years and then its disposal researchers did this kind of study for the european union recently i've put a link to the report in the show notes the study found that electric vehicles produced considerably less emissions compared to internal combustion engine vehicles The only part of the life cycle where the emissions were higher for EVs was in the battery manufacturing process. But take the entire life cycle and EVs won hands down. In fact, electric vehicles are much more energy efficient than petrol or diesel cars during the driving phase. Simply because all those controlled explosions that take place within the internal combustion engine vehicles result in a lot of wastage of energy. Now remember this study was for countries in the EU. One country there did not perform well and that was Estonia where most of the energy in their power grid comes from fossil fuels not greener renewable energy like solar and wind as in other european countries so basically whether evs produce less emissions than petrol or diesel vehicles depends a lot on what kind of energy you are generating and using today india's situation is something like that of estonia's predominantly run on fossil fuel but not all states within india are equally bad absolutely absolutely in fact uh, karnataka is very different than let's say uh, bihar or uh, chatisgarh uh, which are heavy or orissa for that matter which are heavy in coal so uh, yes actually it does it does matter which state you are in the southern states are actually very rich in renewable sources both hydro as well as uh, wind and solar so they are likely to be more um, uh, renewable uh, rich the india grid then let's say the northern in states like karnataka and tamil nadu for example more than 50% of the energy generation comes from renewable sources like solar and wind in bihar and chatisgarh it's less than 6% so whether evs are greener than petrol or diesel vehicles 
could depend on the state you are in and how much of the renewable energy feeds into the grids. And the more renewable energy we have in the grid in the future, the greener it will be. Of course, using solar or wind does not immediately mean it's zero carbon emissions, but in the long run, it can mean lower emissions than fossil fuel generated energy. Now let's imagine for a moment that our grid stays the same, does not get greener. There's still a way for some of us to not depend on the grid for the charging of our EVs. And Jay's organization is working with Bestcom, Bangalore's electricity supply company, to demonstrate this. And the Bureau of Energy Efficiency was actually uh, urging a lot of the discoms to purchase electric vehicles to showcase to the public that, hey, these vehicles are normal. They're not uh, the vehicles that you saw earlier. I mean, the earlier models of Mahindra Reva were really small and people were like, you know, how can I travel and something like that. And the new Mahindra vehicles, like, you know, the Verito and others, and even the Tata vehicles, they're all regular sedans. And so Bescom bought electric cars for some of their officials and approached C-Step to figure out a way to charge the cars using solar energy. And it was an interesting problem for us because a, it had not been done before. So uh, we got to the drawing boards so, and, and, you know, got together a vendor who was installing the solar panel on their new building. So they had a new building coming up new solar panels and we thought that this was an opportunity to design a system. So our engineers got got into the mix and then we designed a system where the solar panel connects to the vehicle and uh, uh, the charging station. The system they designed is a smart one. So it prioritizes charging of Bescom's electric cars from the solar panels over the grid. So there is a storage system also connected to this. So when the, let's say the vehicle is fully charged, the sunlight is there, and the the solar panels now will charge the batteries and the batteries will then be used for uh, various uses, either the building or the vehicle, depending on uh, the need. I mean, we call it smart charging because there's a lot of logic uh, that's going into this particular system to decide uh, at what time it should charge. So to make sure that preferentially it will charge with the renewable energy, solar energy, rather than the grid power. But at the end of the day, to make our hypothetical all-EV future truly green, the power grid has to become greener. The biggest challenge is uh, a greening of the grid in itself because I think majority of electric vehicles are definitely going to be charged through the grid. I mean, you know, you, uh, all said and done, that is going to happen. As you know, majority of vehicles uh, are charged in urban areas. Urban areas have very little, you know, solar panels available. So from that perspective, I think the greening of the grid will become very, very important. The discoms or the power supply distribution companies will also have to get ready for a different future. Because after all, if all vehicles are electric, the grid has to be able to manage the load, figure out when the load is going to be higher and where, and not collapse when thousands of vehicles get connected to the grid and draw electricity from it. So the grid has to evolve. Uh, this gets into actually very interesting domain, right? Which is that you are charging all these electric vehicles. So you will definitely have to upgrade the grid, which is actually a very good thing for the discoms because discoms now are going to sell more electricity. They're going to become more viable over a period of time, which is really good. At the same time, you have to also think that a lot of the vehicles are just sitting idle, right? Most of the time, they say that 80% of our vehicles are sitting idle in a parking lot. Now you have charged the batteries there and they're sitting there idle. Is there an opportunity now to use vehicle to grid? That is at any point in time, if you need power, can you, you, can you call upon these vehicles to give it? 
And so this is what they call vehicle to grid. So there's grid to vehicle, vehicle to grid. And I think these are uh, interesting ideas today uh, because it will require us to have a very smart grid. And that's exciting, right? Because maybe EVs could lead us to a very different power grid in the future. Now, I'd like you to think about one last aspect of an electric vehicle's life cycle that India will soon have to deal with. And that's the spent EV battery. What happens to it? All these batteries have a lifespan. This is Swagata Day, a trained materials chemist and an environmental researcher based in Delhi. All of them have a certain lifespan, 10 years, 15 years, after which the battery needs to be replaced. Now, there are two interesting things here. A, at the end of the lifespan, technically a battery is spent, but spent only for the EV purpose. A battery has almost more than 70% of the energy left. So, however, it can't be used for the EV because if you have less than 70% capacity of the battery, you will not be able to start a vehicle. Remember, to start any engine, you need a lot of power. So, you have that battery remaining and you know, you need to find second life applications for that. One option is for the vehicle manufacturers themselves to take the spent batteries back from the customers and pass it on to a company that can put it up for reuse in other applications. That's the plan that Hero Electric has. Once you reach the end of life cycle, which may be about five, six years, seven years from you selling the vehicle, what happens there is our batteries are designed in such a way that the cells can be taken out easily, checked which cell is not working properly, Take the cell out, plug in a new one, and the battery is almost as good as new. This battery is still not good enough to be put back into another EV, but it can go into other applications like in a UPS or inverter that we have at home. So these cells, these batteries would then go into those applications where the load of the battery is not the same as what it is for automotive applications. And there, they would last a lot longer. So we are looking at these batteries coming back into a complete recycling process, probably about 12 to 15 years from the time when they were actually first sold. That's still a while away. Also remember that the raw materials going into making the batteries, like lithium, cobalt, manganese or nickel, are not being sourced from India. They are mined elsewhere and their mining has been linked to both environmental impacts and human rights abuses. So recycling the raw materials from the spent batteries will also be crucial for our hypothetical future to thrive. And India has a strong recycling sector that can be put to this task. We have a very, very, very strong informal sector. And we often ignore the skill sets of the informal sector. Go to a small, tiny little shop in Nehru Place to get your laptop prepared. You know, at the end of the day, you'll come back with your laptop working just as Or, you know, if you give him the laptop and, you know, you, know, you sell it because you want to sell scrap, he will watch him work, and I've done this, painstakingly pull out everything that he can from your laptop, your, you know, your LED screen, the wires, the motherboard, even the small screws, he's going to number them according to size and heat, and whatever he can dispose, he disposes. Of course, in an ideal world, everything would be recycled and reused. But as we know in India, there's always going to be trash. Lots of it. So then, how do you dispose of an EV battery? None of the existing laws that deal with battery management or electronic waste handling specifically talk about how to dispose of lithium batteries from EVs. We have not yet touched lithium. Lithium was not mentioned anywhere till 2018. And battery chemistry, if you read of an electric vehicle, 
Lithium right now forms the mainstay of EV batteries. In 2020, the government did bring out its draft battery waste manufacturing rules that do include rechargeable lithium batteries. However, as of December 2020, I know it's not been notified yet. So you see, yes, we are slowly and steadily waking up, and our law and policy is catching up with the demand. But we should be thinking ahead, not falling behind, because lithium is a finicky metal. When it contacts water and air. it can be explosive that even a small bar of lithium when i say bar it's a small it's a bar smaller than the complimentary soap that you get in a hotel so that small bar of lithium metal has to be kept under kerosene it's that explosive so imagine you know it being in contact with air and it being in contact with the uh, water uh, it's going to just burst and cause lithium oxide and it's toxic in general and it will once you know if you are if it's just dumped it's going to alter and destroy the natural chemistry of our soil and water for swagata a cleaner environment is a personal mission she lost her own father to a chronic lung disease that was made worse by delhi's poor air quality and this was also the time that the air pollution problem in the national capital was you know returning and returning very very fast unfortunately 2017 after billion fight of almost 10 years in the last four intense years i lost my father to a very severe massive heart attack since then swagata has been trying to dive into solutions that can give us a cleaner environment in the future electric vehicles could be part of that solution but only if we think of evs until their death and since battery waste is yet to be generated in big amounts that gives us time to think and plan for the future at the same time we'll need to think about how we can make this future good for people too especially those who make a living in the automotive industry uh, you have to keep in mind that because of the number of moving parts the number of people that have been employed in the ic engine economy if you may call that is quite large Uh, and the question is what are these people going to do and what are the employment opportunities for them because uh, repairing an electric vehicle is going to be very minor it's just a motor and uh, repairing an electric motor is is a lot easier than repairing an ic engine vehicle uh, or, or ic engine system so i think uh, we have to figure out what are the interesting jobs that we can provide to these people which is also safe i mean i don't want to put them into situations which are going to be unsafe for any of This episode was created and hosted by me Shreya Das Gupta. The intro and outro music is by Abhijit Shailanath. The episode was co-edited by Abhishek Madan. To read the transcript of this episode, head over to the website imaginetomorrow.com. You can send me ideas for the future or voice notes that I might feature in future episodes to imagined.tomorrow@gmail.com. If you liked the episode, give it a shout out on Twitter or any of the social media platforms you are on. That will help others find it. That's all for this episode. See you again soon.